Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We've all been eagerly awaiting the end of the COVID-19 pandemic, but with new variants emerging and case numbers rising again, is herd immunity still really possible? Here to provide some perspective on current case data, the continued development of vaccines, and the future outlook when it comes to this virus, I'm pleased to be joined remotely by Raymond James Biotechnology Analyst, Steve Seathouse. Steve, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. We're all seeing headlines about another wave of positive cases. How does this compare to prior waves when it comes to size and severity? Well, I would say, first off, we're right in the middle of this wave, so it remains to be seen just how this is going to play out precisely in the numbers. But what we can already say is a few things. It would probably be lesser in terms of number of infections and hospitalizations and deaths than the prior bad waves. Uh, that is strictly a function of vaccinations, and the vaccine is retaining efficacy against Delta, which I'm sure we'll discuss. The other thing to note is, in terms of severity, if you're unvaccinated and you are infected with the Delta variant, it does look uh, a little bit more severe than prior uh, variants, alpha, beta, or the original wild type strain that originated in Wuhan. So, uh, you know, on an apples to apples basis, a little bit more severe. It is the same virus um, and does, you know, remain susceptible to vaccines. So that's important to note. And I would say we have, given the precedents that we have, namely in the UK, also in India, uh, where the Delta variant uh, sort of first emerged and really took off, and to a lesser extent in Israel, there's some indication of how those waves played out in those areas and how vaccination um, influenced those waves. And it looks like start to finish, uh, these waves will peak you know, within 50 days. We're probably well into that in the U.S. And so I would say in the coming weeks, we can maybe expect a peak on a national basis in the U.S. Certainly, there'll be pockets regionally that uh, ebb and flow uh, over the coming weeks and months, but uh, we'll be through the worst of it, I would say, for this Delta wave, uh, hopefully within weeks. And, and then as we exit into the fall and winter, there'll be new challenges to discuss with, with respect to vaccination, maybe new variants, et cetera. What is the data saying right now? The first thing to note is, of course, there are a couple of vaccines available here uh, in the U.S., three to be sure. Uh, and there are other vaccines uh, available in uh, other regions. For example, AstraZeneca's vaccine available in the U.K., where they're also experiencing uh, Delta variant. So uh, uh, more, most pertinent uh, for this conversation, I would say, would be the vaccines available in the U.S. Those are the mRNA vaccines, uh, as well as Johnson & Johnson. Most of the data or the most data that we have is on the mRNA vaccines. And number one takeaway is that they re remain effective against Delta. Number two takeaway would be is that level of effectiveness is slightly diminished. So instead of something in the 90s uh, in terms of effectiveness at preventing symptomatic COVID, you're talking about something in the 80s. Um, there are nuances to that, of course, just with respect to that efficacy may be changing with time uh, and it may be even further enhanced if you've been previously infected with another variant. But I would say, generally speaking, the vaccine is highly effective, albeit slightly diminished uh, against Delta variant. And the other nuance that I would note with respect to the vaccines and the Delta variant is there, there is a difference between you getting sick, having been vaccinated, so becoming symptomatic or even in the hospital, which these vaccines retain almost all of their advocacy against Delta for, 
uh, versus carrying the infection, which over time is the sort of aspect of the vaccines that would diminish vis-a-vis -vis the Delta variant. So you could still potentially not be sick, but carry it and infect somebody who's unvaccinated, which is what you see now in the news in which it would be likely to guide policy uh, going forward. Does it make a difference whether an individual was vaccinated as soon as the vaccines became available to them versus more recently? It certainly looks like that's the case. So there are two data points that we've been following that um, make fairly clear that the effectiveness of the vaccines diminishes slightly with time. One is Pfizer uh, having published uh, online uh, a journal article follow-up to their clinical study, which formed the basis of the emergency use authorization for its vaccine. And they were able to show what the effectiveness of that vaccine was immediately post, you know, one dose even, immediately post the second dose, which of course is the full regimen uh, in the subsequent two months, between months two and four and between months four and six. And what's clear is that the effectiveness, while it's 96% immediately after vaccination and for the first two months thereafter, uh, diminishes to about 90% in the next two months and to about 84% between months four and six. And so the longer you are out from vaccination, the more susceptible you are to symptomatic COVID. And then there's another data set, a real world data set that's emerged from Israel, um, which corroborates that, which shows that the effectiveness diminishes with time. And that is in including whether you look at any variant, including Delta variant. Um, but what that data set shows is that there is no diminution um, of, of the vaccine's effectiveness with respect to severe disease or uh, hospitalization, even through six or eight months of follow-up. So um, yes, it matters, uh, seems to retain full efficacy to hospitalization and severe COVID though, uh, fortunately um, for those uh, who have been vaccinated. Are there new versions of the vaccines in development perhaps ones that might be better matched against the Delta variant? There, there are, and um, it's being done in two ways. Actually, this, and this wasn't precisely what you asked, but there are tests being done uh, just using the same vaccine that's already authorized and giving another dose. Um, that looks like it could be effective. And there are new vaccines custom made to, to different variants, to tailored to different variants. And, and the way you do that with an mRNA vaccine, for instance, is you just change the sequence of the mRNA. So if the spike protein has mutated in the Delta variant, which it has, you can make that same mutation, if you will, in the vaccine to have it custom tailored uh, to generate an immune response against that particular variant. That's being done as we speak, not just to Delta, but to other variants. Those tests are underway to clinical studies uh, and it looks like that'll probably be an effective approach and one that's pursued for the foreseeable future for Delta variant and for subsequent variants as a means of um, basing, basically being able to play catch up uh, with this virus as it ebbs and flows through what's now looking like an endemic phase post the original pandemic phase. We're going to talk a little bit more about the possible endemic here, but I want to hear a little bit about the path forward for FDA approval. Right now, the vaccines have an emergency youth author authorization, but they're not fully approved by the FDA. What's your outlook on that? Yeah, so the FDA is being fairly open about this review process. The full data set from these trials has been submitted and accepted for review and is under a traditional FDA review for full approval right now. They've granted that, as you might expect, what's called a priority review designation. And so 
that would mean the FDA would accelerate the review as they do for a, a lot of other priority reviews for oncology drugs, for instance, to six months, um, which is again, standard timeline for priority review drugs. In the case of these vaccines, because of obviously the critical importance and the nature of the pandemic and, and just you know the urgency to um, put a stamp of approval on these formally, the FDA is putting what sounds like all the resources into prioritizing this and probably would get this done ahead of the six month timeline. Again, the same amount of rigor and, and analysis and review as a typical priority review, but just more hands on deck to get that done. And so, whereas the deadline for the priority review is January, in all likelihood, formal FDA approval comes before that, I would suspect maybe even in the next couple of months. So, um, end of September, if I had to take sort of a wild guess at when that could get done. Uh, and, and that'll be a good thing. In terms of um, um, just availability of these vaccines for other groups, for example, in children, um, those will be forthcoming as well and on various timeframes uh, as we get into the winter uh, and beyond. Let's return to that concept of herd immunity. This was held out as really a goal that you know we were shooting for a time when we have the COVID pandemic in our rear view mirrors. Is herd immunity really achievable? Well, I think one thing we've learned, and I say we, just the community at large, the world, frankly, which you know includes the scientific and medical community, is is just what this virus is that we're dealing with. Um, it wasn't necessarily clear early on in the pandemic. At one point, I remember when we were covering this um, as biotech analysts and just trying to anticipate what would happen with vaccines and what would happen with therapeutics, it wasn't even clear that the virus would mutate in the way that it has to, for example, the Delta variant. So we know that's happening now, of course, and that frankly happened even without selective pressure from widespread vaccination. So the Delta variant emerged in India, it appears at a time when really vaccines weren't in widespread use there. So uh, it's a labile virus in that sense, that, that it is drifting genetically, it is mutating, and we know that now. So uh, when herd immunity emerges, you know, conceptually early in the pandemic, as we'll get there one way or the other through infection or through vaccine or a combination of both, it looks like that's less attainable now, uh, or frankly unattainable given how, how labile this virus is and likely uh, to mutate. And so what we'll probably be headed towards now um, it is an endemic virus, which is to say this is here in the same way that the flu is here. Seasonally, there'll be different strains and variants that may emerge and be more prevalent. Um, the properties of that virus will probably look familiar because it's still SARS-CoV-2, and we may be able to generate in real time vaccines that are tailored to those variants like we're doing now. And that could continue for the foreseeable future, maybe in perpetuity, but foreseeable future for years, I would say at a minimum and maybe even beyond. So it's a new normal, I think, that is, is you know, I, I wish there was sort of a happier conclusion to this, but it, there just isn't one. It looks like this virus is here to stay in, in various shapes and forms. Where do we stand right now when it comes to the current strain on hospitals and the healthcare system? This was a big area of concern and, and really problematic when the pandemic first hit. Where are we at now? This is going to be a a regional situation with respect to the, the strain on the hospital systems. Um, by example, in Florida, there's already more hospitalizations there today than there has been at any point in the pandemic. Uh, other regions are also under strain. And that's not true, of course, in places like New York, where early in the pandemic, that was 
you know, regionally where, where there was crisis, New York, New Jersey, et cetera. So um, it's going to be an answer that differs regionally, I would say, on a national basis or, frankly, on a worldwide basis. So if you include Europe and other places that were highly strained at various times in the pandemic, the situation is better because of vaccines uh, and won't get on a population level um, to the point that it ever was during the worst of the pandemic, in my opinion. Uh, but in areas that are undervaccinated and, and uh, you know, where it's, the virus is just taking off at a given time, uh, there'll be sort of temporary strains on the system, I think, for now. The hope being that with vaccination rates getting higher and higher and creeping up over time, and it looks like the recent Delta wave has sort of incentivized even more uh, of a, a, a boost to, to daily vaccinations, that the strain becomes less and less, and it becomes something that's that's eminently um, manageable with, you know, seasonal waves or boons in, in the case rates. When we look a little bit longer term, how do you think the pandemic has impacted the healthcare industry, the biotechnology industry? There are certainly a couple of um, easy ways to see how there'll be some lasting impact. Namely, you know, mRNA vaccines, which, weren't in use, frankly, before the pandemic. It was a newer technology. It had been studied for many years, uh, but just really didn't have the sort of, um, you know, shining example of just how powerful this technology was until COVID. Turned out that it's a technology that enabled the fastest uh, path to a vaccine, but those vaccines have also held up in terms of both efficacy and safety relative to other vaccine technologies. Um, that were tried uh, for COVID. And so mRNA vaccines look like they're here to stay as, as a very promising modality. Uh, the companies um, like Moderna and BioNTech and Pfizer that have, have developed these vaccines are already uh, unveiling and talking about you know, future programs to develop a vaccine for flu, for instance, or other respiratory viruses. And so it's gonna be very exciting to see where that goes. Uh, and then I would just also say that generally speaking, you know, the, the speed and, and efficiency and accuracy with which the industry as a whole, through the help uh, of, of, you know, public groups like Operation Warp Speed, for instance, uh, developed these vaccines and really addressed the global crisis. I think it, it generated a, a little bit of goodwill for the industry, or at least demonstrated just, you know, what this industry exists for in the first place, which is, um, you know, enabling new medicines through really just innovative science. And it's happening every day in, in companies that we cover and follow for things unrelated to COVID, whether it's oncology or, or Alzheimer's or, um, you know, other infectious diseases. Just amazing the, the innovation in the industry that I think the, the pandemic cast a light on. And um, I would hope that that would sort of continue past the pandemic and, and enable support for the industry going forward. Steve, we really appreciate your insights on the subject. If listeners were to walk away with, you know, one takeaway from our conversation, what would you recommend to them? I would say that at times, particularly when we're in the middle of a wave like Delta, it, it can feel like doom and gloom or can feel like we're not getting anywhere. But the one takeaway is that we are through the worst of the pandemic, in my opinion. That's in large part due to vaccines. And we're equipped now through vaccines, some therapeutics, and frankly, just the knowledge of this virus to deal with what's ahead. And so the one takeaway would be that we're through the worst of it and, and equipped uh, to handle what is to come, uh, no matter what that is with respect to this virus. Raymond James, biotechnology analyst, Steve Seedhouse, 
Steve, thank you again for your time speaking with me today. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me again. Listeners, thanks for joining us. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time.